I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Hi, everybody. So a Seattle children's story popped up on my Facebook page a few months ago, and it immediately caught my attention. This mom was asked how having a son with a complex medical need had changed her, and her answer was, how hasn't it? Obviously, I was nodding along so hard to that response. She's one of those warrior parents who can snap into action mode. Her advocacy skills for her son, who was only 18 months old at this point, were astounding and inspiring to me. Her adorable son, Malachi, was diagnosed in utero with several issues, including spina bifida. Her family has had to make some tough decisions to get their son the medical care that he needs, and I'm in awe of her strength and resilience. Somehow, she also finds the time to educate herself to become a master advocate for not only her son, but for others in the community. There is a lot to learn from this family, and I encourage you to follow along on their journey on Facebook or Instagram. I'll link their handles in the show notes for you. So much good information in our conversation, so let's just get started. Here's my friend, Whitney. Hi, Whitney. Welcome. Thank you for joining me today and agreeing to talk to me about your son. Normally, I ask people at the end of my conversation with them how having a child with a medical diagnosis, a disability has changed them or has changed their family. And I found you on Facebook, where I find most of my new friends now, and something you said in a little blurb that Seattle Children's Hospital quoted you really, really struck me. And it has it's my most favorite answer so far of how this has changed a family. So I kind of actually just want to start there. So tell me a little bit about Malachi, your son. Yes. So he is almost 21 months old. He is adorable and the most social little guy you will ever meet. He has spina bifida. It's actually Spina Bifida Awareness Month in October. I saw that. Um, So yeah, I'm really excited um, (laughs) about this. Um, We're kicking it off in a really positive way. But yeah, spina bifida is basically what it means is that in utero, very early on in the pregnancy, the spine of the baby doesn't form like it should. And as a result, when this child is born, they have an open area of their spine, at least in the most severe form, which Malachi has. So when he was born, literally like the bottom half of his spine was open to the air. So what that means is that during the development later on in the pregnancy, and then when they're first born, those the the nerves that go down the spine are, are open to the fluid inside of the placenta and then to the air when they're born and slowly damage occurs on those nerves. And so it can cause all sorts of related disabilities. It impairs mobility. A lot of people with spina bifida um, use mobility aids, uh, whether that's crutches or a walker or a wheelchair. Um, most likely in Malachi's case, he will be in a wheelchair for his life. And 
And one of the other related disabilities that occurs often with spina bifida in, in the large majority of cases is called hydrocephalus, which most people I think would probably more commonly understand is water on the brain. And hydrocephalus can occur for any number of reasons too, but with spina bifida, it's caused by a third disability called Arnold Chiari malformation. And basically when the spine is open to the air, it kind of like tugs the, the spinal column down and it kind of brings the brain down into the upper part of the neck. I guess that's the best way of saying it. And so what it does is it blocks some of the fluid that naturally occurs on our brain um, and it doesn't let it drain properly. So you have this buildup of fluid in the brain. In a lot of cases, that requires an additional surgery to place a device in the brain in order to help drain it. So Malachi was born in January 2018. I actually was living in uh, Yakima, Washington at the time, which is about um, two and a half to three hours away from Seattle area. And we got flown over in the middle of the night and I was taken to the University of Washington Medical Center and rushed into the operating room for a C-section. And he was born and taken directly over to Seattle Children's Hospital and had surgery to close up his spine on day one. It was so hard because I was still stuck at um, UW and I mean, I just was recovering from my own surgery, so I couldn't even be with him. It was so hard. But the second day of life, he actually went in for brain surgery to insert that device to correct the hydrocephalus. And so he had two surgeries in two days and I didn't get to be there. But that's kind of how he came into the world. <laughs> so I just want to backtrack real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Finding uh, spina bifida, is that done in those first tests when you're around like 12 weeks pregnant? Is that when you found out that Malachi had spina bifida? I was right around 20 weeks. Um, oh, you were right around 20 weeks. Okay. Really when they find it, you know, some, some people don't find it. Some people, they, they go in and they have their baby and they're like, surprise. And then, and, you know, they have to rush the baby into surgery unplanned. For us, and I think for more and more cases, although don't quote me on that, I can't tell you statistically, but I, I think in a lot of cases now, because we're getting so well at detecting things early on in pregnancy, um, more people are getting that diagnosis prior to giving birth, which is great because it lets you prepare and it lets the doctors prepare. We actually got ours. I had just had my my second trimester ultrasound done and everything looked great. And my regular OB didn't see anything, but I had the, the quad screening and the quad screening actually showed up for an open neural tube defect, which is what spina bifida is. It's one of the, the neural tube defects. And so they brought me back in and they they sent me to a specialty clinic where they could do like a, a high resolution ultrasound and that's where they found it. Okay. Okay. I just have this image in my head as you're telling me this story. It was it was hard. Yeah. I mean, so you you knew for several weeks while you were pregnant that you were bracing for something. We were. I went into research mode. I wanted to know everything I possibly could about about this condition. My husband and, and my mom, who were both there when we got the diagnosis, they closed down a little bit more. I think they I think it kind of hit them like a blow to the stomach a little bit harder for me. I guess how I react to situations is I'm like, okay, well, huh, that is different than what I planned. Let's see what we do now. And so I really didn't, I feel like I didn't really miss a beat in trying to figure out what the next steps were. What a gift of a trait to have as a soon-to-be advocate. 
<laughs> I don't know if it's a, a gift or a defense mechanism. I'm not sure. But I think in this case, it's a gift. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> okay, so take me back to your C-section and Malachi being born and immediately being rushed into surgery. Like I said, I had we got a, a medical flight over in the middle of the night to University of Washington. And I was taken into the OR and they couldn't get the uh, epidural, the spinal to work. And so they actually had to put me under, which in its own way was traumatic because, you know, part of me thought, I don't know if I'm going to wake up and even like have a baby, <laughs> you know, like I, it's, it's always that scary thought of, oh my God, what if he, he doesn't, doesn't make it past the birth and and I was asleep the whole time. Yeah, it's but just a little extra that you don't need it, right it now. Really, it really is. And so um, they put me to sleep and I woke up in my hospital room and my husband had gotten there and said, he's fine. He's down in the NICU. They're preparing him for transfer. And so, yeah, then they, they wheeled him up in his little incubator transfer transport pod, I guess. And I got to see him for the first time and say hello and say goodbye and send him on his way. And then he was transported up the road to, to Children's Hospital. Wow. Makes my heart ache. It was, it was tough. It was really hard. So Malachi's having his first surgery and this is the spinal surgery to help release some fluid on his brain. This is, is this his first surgery he's had? Yeah. So the first surgery... They bring in a couple teams and what they do is they pull the muscle in the skin and they, they literally, they like zip up his spine and they, they close it up so that you don't have that leakage. And part of the concern is that if you don't get it closed up soon enough that you can get infection like, like meningitis and then you're, you're really in trouble. Um, so the goal is to get him into surgery and get that closed as soon as possible. And so that's what he had. He was born around 1238 in the, the middle of the night, and he had that surgery mid-afternoon the next day. Wow. Yeah. So when did you get to join him? <laughs> I was being a gigantic pain in the butt to all <laughs> of the nurses and team at University of Washington because I did not want to be there. So I, I got out of there as soon as I could. I, I got out about a day and a half later. Um, and said, don't worry, I'm just going down the street. I'll yep. be at another hospital. I'll be fine. If anything happens, they're going to send me right back anyways. So I'm good. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was kind of clawing to get out of there. Yeah. So how long was Malachi in the hospital for his first bout of life? The first uh, hospitalization was just under eight months. Eight months. Mm -hmm. A Whoa. lot happened. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Yeah. It was much longer than expected. I We were told that the average time for, for kids being born with spina bifida is two to three weeks. So that's kind of what we went in expecting. And Whoa. things just kind of spiraled after that. So did he have several other surgeries in this amount of time? He did. He ended up having um, five surgeries during that nearly eight months. Yeah, he... He had the, the, the spinal surgery on day one and then the, the brain surgery um, on day two to correct the hydrocephalus. And then he was also born with congenital heart defects. So he had two little holes in his heart and we knew that they would need to be surgically repaired at some point. We were hoping it would be several months, maybe a year down the road, but um, it became clear pretty quickly that he was not thriving. Um, he was actually considered failure to thrive. And so he went into heart failure 
And that's when the cardiology team decided that it was time to get him into surgery. So he had open heart surgery um, at two months old to repair the heart defects. <laughs> Maybe he's like you. Maybe he likes to just get stuff done. Just get to work. You know, Maybe just like so. he's there. Get it all done so we can go home. Oh, gosh. No kidding. So you're living in Yakima. Where are you staying? What are you doing for eight months? Where are you and your husband sleeping? So my husband had to go back to work. Um, so he was commuting and living in Yakima, working Monday through Friday, and then we'd come over on the weekends. Uh, my mom was staying with me. And when Malachi was in the NICU and I wasn't allowed to stay bedside, we were at the Ronald McDonald house, which was a godsend. Um, but then once he was moved down to a room where I was allowed to stay bedside, I lived in the hospital with him. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of work. It's hard on your back. <laughs> those those blue beds. Like, yeah. you think they'd be softer and they're not. No, no, but it is a bench. <laughs> it's, it's a bench. <laughs> so what about when you got to bring Malachi home? So it was a long journey to that point. After his heart surgery, Malachi started having a lot of problems breathing. And so before we were allowed to go home, he ended up having a tracheostomy. And so he was put on a trach and became ventilator dependent. So part of our going home plan involved weeks and weeks of training, pretty much on how to keep him alive with this breathing machine. So after that, God, we were terrified to bring him home. You know, you, you are traumatized by how these babies come into the world and how much time and all the emergency situations and all the monitors and the alarms. After all of that in the hospital, you are like scared to step foot outside. You're clinically traumatized. You really yeah. are. And so even the thought of going home scared me to death. But when somebody is well enough to go home, they don't get to live in the hospital anymore. <laughs> no matter how scared you are, they will not let you. So uh, last August in 2018, we brought him home for the first time to Yakima. And it, I think, really set, uh, it kicked in then just how challenging it would be to be outside the hospital and try to live... <laughs> somewhat semblance of normal life and how many obstacles there were going to be to that. And I think that it, since then, it's just been one giant learning opportunity every single day. Yeah. So leaving, leaving Seattle and heading back to Yakima with such a medically complex child, did you feel safe? Did you feel like you had what you needed in Yakima? It was hard. I think that you get so used to having all of the services available at your fingertips when you're in the hospital that cutting that string and going two and a half to three hours away over a mountain pass, <laughs> it's it's really scary. You know, Yakima is much smaller than Seattle, very, very much smaller, and they, they don't have the degree of services that a metropolitan city has. Um, and they certainly don't have a children's hospital. And so it was kind of a 50-50. Yakima has a fantastic early intervention, birth to three therapy type services. They they have a program called Children's Village, which we were nothing but happy with. They were fantastic. But every single time, because Malachi is so medically complex, every time there was a problem, we got sent back to Seattle. Um, 
I mean, and it was something as simple as, you know, his, he had a, a feeding tube down his nose at the time and we learned to place that. But at one point we couldn't get that placed. And so we took him into our local hospital and pretty much, you know, we were told you should go over to Seattle because it, they're going to be able to do, to, to get this done faster than we can. And in the medical world, dropping a feeding tube down a, a kid's nose is really not all that complicated, but because Malachi is so complex, I, I don't feel like a lot of areas are fully equipped or fully trained or they have the personnel that feel comfortable working with kids like that. You know, and it, it's nothing against against those institutions or against the cities or those services. It's just he is so complicated and he requires a lot of care and a lot of really specialized services. And after months and months and several more uh, medical airlifts to Seattle, we decided as a family that it would be better to move over closer to Seattle. And so um, we just made that move this August, a couple months ago now. Oh, wow. So recent. Yeah. I think it's interesting how in the beginning, before we even before we have kids like this, we think that medical professionals know everything and that, of course, they would have been able to put his NG tube down his nose. Why wouldn't they? And then just kind of getting blasted into this world and you realize, oh, I have to do my homework. I have to take care of my child. You learn real quick. You do. You do. <laughs> um, you were <laughs> thrown in with a blindfold and you are not you don't have the medical background yourself and yet you somehow have to gain that knowledge and step up to the plate and be that medical person, which which is crazy to think about because who would have that type of skill set unless you come from that medical background? But you know, there are so many medical specialties and, and pediatrics is so different than adults. And so to be in an area where they don't have those specialties, it's really challenging. And I felt like most days I was like Wild West. It was a cluster. And, and I still feel like like most of my days are a total cluster. And yet you realize that you don't really have a choice. <laughs> Yeah, that must have been hard to just have to leave your home. It was. Again, I think it, it shows just difference in personalities between family members because all of my family does live in Yakima. And so we had a lot of support there. It was our entire support system. But I guess I made a decision. And after several airlifts and several times where I felt like he needed more ready access to emergency services, I said, you know what? We're done. We're leaving. Let's move. And my husband was like, you know what, wait, 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 we got to think about this, you know, and, and I'm like, nope, done, decision made, we're going. And <laughs> so, when you're done, you're done. Yeah, it really is. And you know, once, once I make the decision, I there's really like in my head, there is absolutely no going back to what that was. And so yeah, we picked up and moved. We were, um, we actually had this another hospitalization for about six months this past year. And so we did, we got discharged again in this August and we discharged to our new place in Auburn. So so yeah. you have him back in uh, the birth to three program right now? I do. We just started a couple weeks ago. So he is now in speech and physical therapy. We're going to start vision therapy and we're going to start some um, hearing programs. Awesome. Yeah. So is Malachi going to be using his trach throughout his life? Is that something that's a permanent surgery when, when kids get one of those? 
Not necessarily. It depends on why they need it. There are a lot of little micro preemies that have it. Some kids get it because of uh, structural things that go on in their airway that don't let them breathe. Um, in Malachi's case, he has obstructive um, problems. So he had a large tongue base, um, which caused him pretty much his, he would be breathing fine and then his tongue would fall kind of back into his airway and he would turn blue. And so we need that trach. <laughs> yeah. And after so much of that, you know, we, we hope that he would, you know, kind of get over it um, as he continued to recover from his heart surgery. But after watching him turn blue over and over and over for days on end, you know, you get to the point where it's like, well, either my child can suffocate or we can go through this very scary surgery. And so you go through with the scary surgery, but uh, according to his medical team, we, I mean, we don't know for certain. He may very well need it for the, his entire life. We have no way of knowing the future, but we don't think he will. Um, we think that he's going to kind of grow into his airway and grow in his tongue will grow and his whole, um, you know, his lungs will get stronger. And we think that eventually he'll be able to have it removed. Yeah, hopefully. So how, how do you get out of the house right now with Malachi? How do you how do you get all of his stuff and his <laughs> how do you go to an appointment? <laughs> not very well. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Maybe not very quickly, but oh, it's, it's make a it happen. It's a mess. Um <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I follow all these other um, medical moms on Instagram and, and a lot of them have their kids have trachs and they have the feeding tubes. And I just feel like, oh, my God, those moms are like my heroes because they just <laughs> seem like they are so much better at it than me. And I just feel like a hot mess all the time. But <laughs> with a trach, so he has to have a giant stroller. I call it the magic school bus. This thing needs like beeping like a school bus when you back up. It's like beep, beep, beep. But it's huge. It's one of those, um, the sit and stand strollers. So you're so it's made for two kids, but I just have the one. And so we put his ventilator on the, the bottom where, where a toddler would like stand in the front Perfect. and we strap it on with, um, bungee cords. And then we put his oxygen tank in the bottom, just in case we have an, an Ambu bag in case there's an emergency. We have we travel with a giant red emergency backpack that has all of his spare equipment and spare trachs in it. Um, and then we have all of the like regular baby stuff like diapers and food. And, um, you know, we have to like attach his feeding pump to the stroller. So we have a clamp that we have to stroll it on and like keep all of the cords from tangling and not having me run them over with the, the stroller. And by the time we even like get him from our place into the car just to go to the appointment, I am like dripping in sweat. Like yes. I walk into his doctors. And I'm like, don't worry, we're here. We made it. <laughs> you know, it's, it it's, it's a mess. <laughs> Oh, it, you're making it happen, which is really awesome. <laughs> and thank God for birth to three coming to your house. Am I right? right? There's no way we would be able to do it. <laughs> when they said they would come to my house, I cried. I was like, oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> so how is he thriving so far with all of his new therapists? And I don't know, is he in any sort of like little co-op-y thing with the, with the birth to three program yet? Or is he still too young? So no co-ops yet no group therapies okay. yet um we are hoping to the challenge right now is that we're kind of walking into cold and flu season and so we're nervous really to even have him around other people 
Um, so we're going to go into isolation here around November 1st, and then we'll come out in April or May. Um, oh and then God. hopefully by spring, we're going to try and get him into like a play group through like the therapy center. So it'll be other kids with, with disabilities and stuff. So it'll be great. We're, we're looking forward to that. That'll be super fun. You're going to mm-hmm. love it. So is he always going to have a compromised immune system or is this just, you know, he's still freshy? You know, he's young and he's been in and out of the hospital. So he's definitely like not, he's undersized for, for his age um, and all of the development that comes with growth and gaining strength and, and growing. And so he's, he's missing that. Immune wise, you know, he has a fairly um, average immune system. He fights off things pretty well. The, the challenge is, is that he has an open hole that goes straight from the outside environment into his lungs. And so he just will pick up things faster and you know that's not a sterile environment and so any sort of bacteria or infection or virus like virus that's running around in the air will somehow make it directly into his airway we just try and like minimize exposure as much as possible so i know you said that you idolize these other moms on facebook and instagram who are making it look easy but the reason i contacted you is because moms like you inspire me I mean, Malachi is younger than my son and the strength that I hear in your in your mom voice and just in how you advocate for your son is so cool to me. It's so cool that it's happening with you even before he was born. Can you tell me a little bit about what you've learned about being an advocate for him medically and just in general in life? Yeah, you know, I I feel like I've always kind of I'm such a loud mouth. Thank you. You <laughs> I, have to be. I really am. And I always have been. And, you know, I, I've never really been afraid to tell people to stick it when they need to <laughs> hear it. And I think that probably suits me well in this case. You know, it has been different because, like I said, I don't have the medical background. So it's been a huge learning curve. And I am still learning stuff every day. But, you know, I think as medical parents, we can be an advocate in two ways, right? Like we can be an advocate for our kid. Like we have to be an advocate for our kid. That's just a given. But I think that we can also use our experience and use the knowledge that we gain to be an advocate for the community and for, for all kids and all people with disabilities or, or with medical um, diagnoses. And there are so many. I mean, there is like it, it, the disabled community is considered like the largest minority group in the U.S. And so, I mean, whether we have disabilities or not, I mean, really, if we're going to be like advocates for, for anything, I mean, we have to include advocacy for, for those with disabilities. And so I think just opening my mind to that world and, and I'll be the first to admit, like, I mean, we talk about like privilege and having privilege and, and I, through this whole experience, this has shown me how much privilege I had to not have to be aware of the issues that affected the disability community. I didn't have to be worried about good sidewalks or accessible parking spaces or accessible restrooms because it didn't affect me. And it's not that I didn't I didn't care or I wouldn't have cared. I just, I didn't realize and I didn't know because I didn't need to know. And so then I had this this kid that will be in a wheelchair and will have all of these mobility issues and all of these these needs. And I'm like, holy cow, I never knew. 
And so a big part of this advocacy thing has been educating myself on all of these vast issues that affect people with disabilities and kids with disabilities and and the growing number of kids that are actually growing into adulthood and reaching adulthood and becoming, you know, adults that live average lives and what issues they face in housing and employment and it's been um, a practice in humility for me because I've had to accept that I was kind of naive to these issues. But, you know, as an advocate, it also kind of was a kick in the pants and said, okay, so yeah, sure. It took you a while to get here. It took you having a kid with a disability in order to get here, but what can we do now? And so I think that it's important for medical parents to to use their voice and and to get involved however they can. And and I think we all have different skills, right? Like some of us can talk, some of us can go talk to our senators or our legislators or whatever. Some of us are good writers, so we can write, I don't know, op-eds or whatever. Some of us, you know, don't really feel comfortable doing that. But you know what we can do? We can, you know, get involved with different community organizations that where they are involved with contacting legislators or holding candidate forums or whatever. I think there's ways that every single one of us can get involved. And because we have this unique experience, I think it is so important that we do get involved. I totally agree. And, you know, aside from even privilege being the reason that none of us know anything is I feel like it hasn't been easy for people with disabilities and medically complex diagnoses to even get out of their house. Mm -hmm. So we haven't seen them that often. You know, kids weren't really in school when we were in school. We didn't necessarily grow up alongside them because there wasn't room for them. Right. There wasn't there wasn't a system in in place that could help these kids go to school. Absolutely. And be a part of the community. So, yeah, it's just kind of been completely hidden behind this curtain. We know it's there, but like we don't talk about it because right. why? Why would we? They're not in our world. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and isn't that terrible? I mean, yes, you know, it, it, and, and to a certain extent, you know, it, it's still very much true. Like, I think that we are getting better. I think that knowledge is out there. And and I don't know, maybe it's just the natural progression of society. Maybe it's social media. I, I have no idea what the cause is. But, you know, I, I think that things are getting better, just not better mm -hmm. fast enough. Just There's like every, everything else, you know, things do progress. They, there is movement. It just doesn't happen as fast as a lot of us would like it. And I think that in itself can be incredibly frustrating. It can be, but there is a very cool vibration happening. And there is. it's all of those things. It's yes. it's time. It's it's social media. It's mm -hmm. new diagnoses popping up all over the place. I mean, it's everything moving. Yeah. And it's exciting. But yeah, it's not fast enough. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I totally agree with you that we all need to use our gifts, what a, however they manifest, to get the world looking at this large minority. Mm -hmm. I agree. Can you tell me about this new organization or state-funded program that you just joined that you're a member of now? Yes, it is. It's fantastic. So it's called PI for short. It's the uh, Parent Institute for Engagement. It is run through Washington State through the same program that runs the early intervention services for the state statewide. Um, so what they did was they wanted to get more parents engaged and they wanted to give them the skills they need to advocate. And we're talking at this point, like advocacy 
on a broader level than your own child. So this is not, you know, your your child focused advocacy. This is community focused advocacy. And so it's a, it's a year long, a 12 month long leadership program. They put out the call for for applications for this program in the I think I think it was mid spring last year. And then they this is I'm part of the second year. Um, so there is, I believe, like seven people in my cohort and we meet once a month, um, either through like online Zoom meetings or through um, in-person meetings alongside a committee that is, um, it's the state interagency coordinating committee. So this, this SICC committee is governor appointed people. So you have representatives from all of these different government agencies that come together once a month and they have these these meetings where they talk about problems or improvements or how to make recommendations to state agencies on areas that need to be addressed. And so my group, this pie group, we we have our meetings where we learn specific skills. Like last month, we learned storytelling, how to tell our story for an advocacy purpose. And then on the second day of our meeting, we go and we attend this SICC committee where we get to meet all of these representatives from these agencies and we get to hear about actual ongoing problems in the state. So, you know, part of this is is education by attending those type of meetings. We get up on kind of current events in the field. And then part of it is absolutely focused on picking up new skills and training. And so we're, we're looking at how to, right now, it's, we're reading a, a book on how to have critical conversations with people. So pretty much how to, when the stakes are high and you need to be calm and collected and you need to prove a point, how can you do that in a way that is going to come in with a, a result that that is going to be favorable for, for whatever your purpose is? And so it's just this, you know, it's this group of just really dedicated parents who want to be active advocates in their community. And it's so fantastic. And it it is. Anybody can apply. So I definitely encourage other parents who want to be advocates and to learn those skills to apply. But I'm I'm really excited. We just started in July. And so I, I have several months ahead of me. But already, I think I've picked up a lot of really good skills from it. Yeah, you're going to be one of the big guns. It's awesome. <laughs> so you just found this you, or did your birth to three center say, hey, Whitney, I think that you would be really good. <laughs> so I found it on social media, on Facebook. Uh, there was a call to apply. And when, so when I found out about Malachi's diagnosis, I went on Facebook and I like started just searching for groups that that focused on disability advocacy. And so I liked all these groups. And so now I get like all of the notices for every single program all the time. <laughs> I know. I wonder all the things that I like sometimes. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've heard of that. I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so this was just one of them that popped up. Wow. I think that's so cool that that's where your brain went when someone told you what Malachi's life might look like. With how intense of a diagnosis that is, I just I'm in awe that that's where you went. It's really powerful. And I think it says a lot about you as a mom. it's very it's very cool I wouldn't say that's the first place most of us have went you know yeah you know I um like I said I I don't know if it's a gift or a defense mechanism but I like to I have to keep my hands busy and I think advocacy allows me to keep my hands busy while also still (laughs) focusing neurotically on my son's issues (laughs) Yeah, no. <laughs> kind of brings well, I mean, the two together. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. 
So so what are your goals with your advocacy within the next year? I want to get more involved. You know, I, I before Malachi, I didn't know much, like I said, about disability issues and, and specifically even issues happening in our own state. And there is a lot of issues, um, things that just kind of blew my mind that I, I didn't even realize existed. And so, you know, I, I, I hope that through this program and through some of the other through some of the other ways that I, I've gotten involved in the community because of Malachi, I really hope to make connections and to get involved in some of the the programs and campaigns that these groups are are leading. Um, and hopefully, you know, I can add my voice to the masses and we can make some change. Yeah, I love that. I'm looking at Malachi's face right now and he is so adorable. <laughs> and he's so lucky to have you as his mom. Oh, thank you. He is, he is a sweet, sweet boy. I, I'm very lucky. Yeah. Uh, I'm definitely going to check out Pi and I'll leave a link in it in our show notes so everyone here can find it if they want to get involved because I think we know a lot of badass parents. <laughs> and I yes. think that a lot of them would be good at this particular program. Oh, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. I just have one more question, Whitney. Sure. And I'm kind of going to circle back to the beginning. I know you said that having Malachi has changed you. How hasn't it changed you? How do you feel it's changed your entire family bringing someone like Malachi into the world? How have you maybe went on a different path of, you know, showing up as a parent and your family? I feel like that answer, you know, how hasn't it changed me? I think that could probably be the answer for every person in my family. Having a kid like this, being in and out of the hospital, seeing how much these kids go through just so that they can wake up every day with this gigantic smile on their face. It, it's really profound how it affects you. And I think that it affects everyone you share your story with, which is why we do share our story. You know, even if it's in small ways, whether it makes them more aware of a specific condition or a specific issue in the community that, that affects kids like Malachi, it's made me more focused it's made me, I think, maybe more more of a serious person um, or driven. Maybe maybe driven is the right word. It's made me incredibly passionate about causes that are close to my heart. And I think for the rest of my family as well, you know, we've become very involved in issues related to Malachi's conditions. We've become a lot more outspoken about issues affecting kids like Malachi or, or kids with every, you know, any other condition, you know, and I think that overall, it makes your sense of empathy grows and how couldn't it, right? But I think empathy is is the biggest thing that comes out of, of this type of experience. I love that. Thank you. Whitney, thank you so much for using your voice. It's so huge and I'm so glad you're such a loud mouth because <laughs> you're going to you're going to move. You're going to move some pieces in this world of disability and medically complex kids and I am so happy you're a part of our community. <laughs> you know, even though you didn't necessarily choose it. Right. Like any of us did, but I'm glad you're here and I think you're awesome and I really look forward to what comes of your new power that you're learning with Pi. Thank you. Thanks. I'm I'm looking forward to to seeing what comes out of it too. I uh, I think that what's been really fantastic about this whole journey is just the number of connections I've made and the people I've met. I mean, there are just some truly amazing people um, really and, par are. and parents that are part of this community, and I'm I'm really grateful for that and to know them. 
It is. It's really cool. It's funny. Even you, like every time I connect with someone new and I friend them on Facebook, we always have at least two or three people in common. And it's like, oh, (laughs) why didn't I know about her? (laughs) Funny how that works. (laughs) Okay. well, thank you for talking to me today, Whitney. I really appreciate it. I look forward to connecting with you again soon and hug that little boy for us. Oh, always. Thank you. It was great to talk to you. Thank you. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.